looking for an alternative platform to view not only senior students' work but young choreographers' work and recent graduates of various training institutions who don't necessarily have a next step because it's expensive and difficult to get on a lot of platforms. So we wanted to create a platform that would bridge those two different areas. I think what we've looked for this year in particular is more interdisciplinary work and really pushing the boundaries of movement and creative movement and physical theatre and what it means to really choreograph further. So there's a lot more dialogue and the experimental work, what we've looked at this year is, is opening up to the really experimental space in terms of choreography and movement and what it means to create a language and what that language is. Crew says that the festival is building networks with other festivals, such as the Dance Umbrella, which will allow the young choreographers to present work on a consistent basis. Now that we feel ourselves kind of creating some roots and, and establishing ourselves a little bit more, we really are looking for reaching out and connecting and strengthening nationally the kind of network and opportunities for these young voices and perhaps create more stepping stones after detours. An opportunity to develop work consistently instead of just, you know, sharing at once. According to the director, many of the proposals that they received spoke to xenophobia and conflict. What we've noticed this year is a strong shift in statement to where the choreographer exists in South Africa at the moment. And so when we got the proposals, quite a few works already spoke to xenophobia, issues of conflict between not only individuals, two people, but large groups of people. So that seems to underpin the festival this year. The performance piece Skeleton Woman is a collaboration between performance artist Claire Russell and drama therapist Sean Palmer. Russell describes the folktale on which the performance is based and how it's been translated into movement. The story of the skeleton woman is about a young woman who's tossed into the sea by her father. One day, many years later, a fisherman comes into the bay and thinks that he's caught a really big fish. And much to his horror, he realizes that he's hooked the skeleton. There's a moment where he realizes that actually this isn't quite so threatening, but also that there's something very powerful going on. So he shows some compassion, some tenderness for her, and then he goes to sleep. And while he's asleep, she starts to come to life. She's been reinvigorated by this little bit of love that she's received. She takes his heart and she uses his heart to put flesh back onto her bones, to come back to life. And then she forms this dance where she is now a full, vigorous, powerful human being again. And once she's gone through that process, she turns her attention to him and they spend the night together. And one can interpret that as a story about becoming as a woman, a story about relationship, a story about becoming as a woman through relationship, and then being able to give in a much more wholesome and nourishing way. We started to work through the story and realize that there were a number of, kind of separate vignettes, little themes, and they each have their own signature music as well. And some of them are very kind of muscly, and some of them are much more expressive and much more spontaneous. They are really there to allow this process to come through and to really allow this to be a kind of ritual for going through that process. Presenting his work, Lutjani Zinyanya, is choreographer Tulani Lord Mgidi.
The piece, which will also travel to the National Arts Festival in Grahamstown in July, focuses on the practices and art forms of the Ndebele people and how they came about being three different groups. This concept came about when I was watching um, a particular work about a certain uh, ethnic group. So I drew my inspiration there. There's also my stories that they were never told, like my forefathers' stories that they were never told. So it's very much important that I'm in the forefront and then let me make use of this opportunity to tell these kind of stories because if I don't do it, who will do it? The Detours Festival, rerouting movement composition, is currently taking place at the Witz Theatre in Johannesburg until the 23rd of May. I'm Michelle Constant. This feature is produced by Monique Stander and you can email me on create at barsa.co.za. Create. Proudly brought to you by Business and Arts South Africa, creating new opportunities for business arts partnerships. Email create at baza.co.za. And uh, Mabu Buluga is our lone producer today. Thank you very much to her. And uh, senior producer is Evelyn Tongwane. Thanks to Mark Prela, who's uh, our technical producer today. Executive producers, Opisati and uh, Krivani Play. My name is Bongi Kuala. Let's connect again for your midweek edition of uh, PM Live. That's uh, between uh, 12 and 1 tomorrow. Otherwise, is up next with Shadow Twala between 1 and 2. And then afternoon talk, Ashraf Garda, till 4 o'clock. PM Live, 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock. Goodbye. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Top stories at one o'clock. Bloomport take residents take to the streets over incomplete road, and Eskom says Madonna not forced to resign. Good afternoon. Community members in Blumport in Limpopo have barricaded the R25 road between Hroblesdal and Denilton. Residents are protesting about a road that has been left unfinished by a contractor. Police spokesperson Ronel Otto says the protest action started this morning and police are monitoring the situation. It is the community of Blompoort on the R25 between Grobersdal and Denilton who's blocking the road this morning with stones and burning tires. Apparently there was a contractor appointed to fix the road or, or, or give them a new road and the contract was either stopped or the contractors did not pitch up for work so they are protesting about that. The national leadership of the PAC has refuted claims that the chairperson of the PAC in Mpumalanga, Richard Mauga, has been suspended. General Secretary of the PAC, Narius Moloto, says the allegations were made by a faction loyal to the expelled president of the party, Alton Mpeti. Yesterday, the provincial secretary, Lucas Mola, who accused Mauga of misconduct and sowing divisions in the party, told the SABC that Mauga was suspended with immediate effect following his failure to attend a PAC meeting at Ermelo on Sunday. But Moloto insists that Mauga is still the leader of the party in the province. These reports and announcements are false. He's still a provincial chairperson. He's having a support of the structures of Mpumalanga and he's having the support of the national office of the PAC. Mola is a, a, a big supporter of the expelled former president, Alton Mpeti. Their actions are clearly actions which are intended to destabilize the PAC. Eskom says its former chief executive officer, Tsiriso Madonna, was not pushed to resign. Spokesperson Kulipa Siwa says Madonna initiated the separation and told the board he wants to pursue other interests. He and three other executives were suspended in March while an inquiry was being planned into the operations of the power utility. Pasiwa says the investigation will continue. 
We can confirm that uh, Mr. Matuna and the board of ESCOM uh, have reached an agreement for, for him to amicably part ways with the company. And we also would like to place it on record that um, um, Mr. Matuna was not pushed out of ESCOM. He actually is the one who approached the ESCOM board to inform that uh, to inform them that uh, he wanted to pursue other things. So the board has accepted his uh, resignation and uh, the the resignation or the depa- or his departure is an amicable one between him and the board. The bail application of Christopher Panayotu will commence tomorrow at the Port Elizabeth Magistrates Court. The bail hearing started last week, Thursday, and was postponed to give the state time to prepare opposing affidavits after defence lawyer advocate Terry Price presented his case. Christopher Panayotu is accused of being the alleged mastermind behind Jade Panayotu's murder. In April, she was abducted from the townhouse and her body later found in an area outside Guanobutle Township in Ittenhag. Jade Lee Pulser reports. Christopher Panayotu appeared in court last week Thursday where he submitted affidavits stating why he should be granted bail. In those documents he cited that he was not a flight risk and that his defense team was in possession of his passport. In the affidavit of Panayotu it contained information regarding his application for bail such as the living conditions at St. Albans prison which he cited as contravening the basic human rights such as adequate nutrition and sanitary facilities. Panayotu also stated in his affidavit that there were far more serious crimes committed daily. Further afield, Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott says he will not show mercy to Australians who join militant groups abroad and then regret it and try to go home. He was responding to reports that three Australians who joined the jihadist groups in Syria were in talks about coming home. The lawyer for one man said his client was disillusioned with jihad and could help dissuade others from joining up. The BBC's Phil Mercer reports. The homesick Australian jihadis have become disillusioned with life under the brutal regimes of militant groups in Syria. One man who's a nurse has said he misses his family and wants to come home. Secret negotiations between his lawyer and the government in Canberra have stalled. The Prime Minister Tony Abbott has warned that anyone who goes abroad to become a killer would not be welcome back in Australia. Recapping the top story, community members in Blomport in Limpopo have barricaded the Out25 road between Hroblesdal and Denelton. Headlines at 1.30. Otherwise on SAFM. And a very good day to you, Mzansi. Welcome to Otherwise on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shada Twala. The show is produced by Hazel Makuzeni. And our technical producer for today is Derek Fordyce. Our contact details are 0892-102010. Email otherwise at safm.co.za. Tweets at otherwise safm or at Shadow Twala. It's a wet Tuesday in Cape Town, so it means winter's around the corner. Thought I'd mention that. So South Africa's migraine research pioneer, Dr. Elliot Cheval, talks to us about a recent study that links perfumes and migraine headaches. He explains that. And then we talk to oral health. We talk about oral health, in fact, with a specific slant on gum disease and tooth decay with Dr. Maroon Khan from South African um, Dental Association. But before that, my lunch buy for today, it's Africa Month, and we've been introducing you to various African artists. And this one is called Abby Ndor. Yeah, Yusun Ndor's sister. And she gives us a song called Shell. 
And the song Shell deals with the importance of education and knowledge over ignorance and violence. from Senegal and uh, just to explain a bit about her thinking on that song consciousness and brutality started school the same day brutality beats abuses and mistreats consciousness till consciousness becomes brutality slave one day consciousness revolts grabs his luggage and runs away that's him at his best yeah running with a big smile in his face with his hands out that he's just happy he's smiling he's laughing that's, that's what my dad was. To mark two years since the passing of journalist, broadcaster and patriotic South African, Vuyambuli, a memorial race will be held in Houghton as part of the Vuyambuli Legacy Project. The 5-kilometer, 10-kilometer race, which is also open to walkers, will take place on Sunday, 24th May, 2015, at 8 a.m., starting at the James and Ethel Gray Park. Proceeds from the race will go towards the Uvosoen Community Dialogue, the dialogues will be held at the community halls in various provinces, targeting those without internet access and will feature medical experts who will educate and engage with community members on pulmonary embolism. These will take place in October in line with World Embolism Day. For more information on the Vuyambuli Memorial Race, please call 011-656-8008 or visit the SFM website www.com. 
safm.co.za. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Otherwise, on SAFM. I'm joined now by South Africa's migraine research pioneer, Dr. Elliot Chevelle, to talk to us about a recent study that links perfumes to migraine headaches. Dr. Chevelle, welcome. Thank you so much. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for your time. Now, firstly, is it migraine or migraine? You know, it just depends which part of the world you come from. It doesn't matter, though. Well, I'm happy you said that because I, I didn't want to start off on the wrong foot. Yeah, I think... <laughs> I think people who speak proper English say migraine and people who speak American English say migraine. Oh, okay. No. It really doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we're over that, this is an yeah. interesting study. What do we understand by it? Can you unpack it for us, please? Which is which study is this? The perfume and, and migraine study. Yeah, look, you know, it's long been known uh, that perfume can be a trigger for migraine. Mm-hmm. And uh, the study just highlighted it once more. Now, the whole, if I can explain how it works. Mm-hmm. Please. First of all, I need to explain the difference between triggers and the underlying cause of a, of a migraine. Okay. And the best way to explain it is if you think of a landmine that is placed under the ground and the, the soldier primes the detonator, okay. anything stepping on that landmine, will set it off, it will explode. Mm-hmm. All those things are the triggers. Okay. If you take the detonator out, even an elephant standing on it won't trigger it off. Okay. So, perfume is a trigger. The underlying causes of migraine are either arterial pain or muscle pain. So, what we do is we find what the underlying cause is treat that cause, and then the trigger doesn't work anymore. So Ah. a perfume trigger would not work once the patient had the proper treatment. So that patient can then start wearing perfume again without any problem. Now, apparently this study says the the more men than women uh, kind of were affected by, by these headaches or the triggers. Well, you see, nobody knows why that is. Um, it's, you know, it's just a subject that one could speculate on, mm. but nobody knows why. Uh, what happens is that when there's pain from either the arteries or the muscles or both, the, the brain becomes hypersensitive to many things. And certain smells are one of them. Other people they can't stand bright lights. Other people can't stand noises. Some have all of those things. So how the perfume works, we don't know. But it's probably because the brain is hypersensitive to, uh, to, the, uh, to the smell. Dr. Chevelle, did it matter? What do we know about the sample used for the study? Because, you know, that may give us some answers. Where, where were they from? How old were they? How many were they? Um, and, and were they sufferers already of, of, of yeah, migraines? Yeah, I haven't got that study in front of me at the uh, moment. I'm ah, quite honest. Okay, okay. Okay, because I, I also wondered what, what, I mean, apart from perfumes, were there other odors that they were exposed to? As far as I know, in that study, it was just perfume. Okay. But uh, other odors certainly do cause problems, like petrol and sharp smells, you know? 
Yeah, because uh, I'm thinking paint, uh, you know, depending on where you work. Paint as well. Um, paint as well. I must tell you, I had one person in a headache clinic who only got his migraine when he used um, one of these handy, handy type cleaning yes. to clean his desk. And to diagnose where his pain came from, we had to see him with, uh, with a headache. So I got him to come along with his cleaning product and clean my desk. And he got his migraine, so we could diagnose it, and it was arterial pain. And for that, we can we just cauterize, we close off the responsible artery, and the problem goes away forever. And it was quite funny. We made him bring his own migraine <laughs> trigger with him to the headache clinic, and he gave himself a headache, and then we took it away. But now, how how does it work, Dr. Chevelle? How would I know if I'm exposed to a variety of odors throughout the day from from my perfume in the morning, or maybe not even my perfume, that's from my shampoo, because all, yeah. all of these things have got chemicals. From my shampoo to my perfume, up until, you know, I drive in my car, so I, I continue to have the migraine, possibly from the petrol fumes. How do I identify and and isolate what it is that is giving me, is triggering my my, my migraine? Okay, well, first of all, only about 20% of migraine sufferers have triggers that you can identify. Okay. Not everybody has triggers. Okay. So that's the one thing. Secondly, most people who come to the headache clinic can tell us, when I use this perfume, I get a headache, or when I drink this kind of wine, or what, you know, they know their triggers, Mm. because it's going to happen very quickly. So it's, it's not as if you, you put your perfume on in the morning and it's only going to give you a headache six hours later. Mm. It happens, so it you, happens in, in a short space of time, you say? Yeah, it should, it should happen in a pretty short space of time. You, 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 that sensitivity, you'll feel it. People are easy, they're, they're very good at identifying their triggers, if they've got a trigger. So what sort of headache do I bring to you? Well... <laughs> Any headache, migraine, cluster headache, tension headache, we treat chronic headaches. Look, you know, we, there are many causes of headaches, but most of them are very rare. For instance, everybody who comes to the headache clinic is first seen by a neurologist to make sure they don't have a brain tumor or some infection in the brain. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's very, very, very rare that he picks anything up. What we do is we find then where the pain is coming from once he's given them a clean bill of of health as far as the brain goes. And most headaches come from either the muscles of the jaws and neck or the arteries in the scalp. So we have special, we've devised special tests to test this sort of thing and to test the arteries. And in fact, we get patients from all over the world coming for the arterial, for the artery surgery because this is the only place in the world that does it. Really? And yeah, they've got to come here. We get people from the States, from Australia. From, I've had people from Vladivostok and <laughs> Kazakhstan, from the weirdest places. Why are we the only ones in the world? Is well, I developed this operation and nobody's copied me yet. Oh, okay. And But you are teaching other people? I'm trying to, yeah. We've got another maxillofacial surgeon at the moment learning. And... Uh, the unfortunate thing is you can't make people learn. You've got to wait for them to come to you. Mm-hmm. But we're getting there. And but, uh, it's really exciting getting people from all over. 
I, I can imagine because it also gives you a, a, a wider scope of understanding um, yes. you know what what co- the causes of headaches and and maybe Absolutely. there are different ones around the world but I'd like to know though um, are there dangers when is it time to come and see dr. Chevelle for that operation because you may you may not experience it that all the time but it, it, you know there may be periods of of calm and then yes, your, your no, headache comes back yes so what, what you get into. the first thing I need to mention not everybody needs an operation mm-hmm. we can help many many people without an operation but the time to come is either if you're taking regular painkillers mm. The pain is getting worse if it's affecting your quality of life. I mean, it affects people's interpersonal relationships. It affects their work relationships. They can't go out sometimes because they never know when a migraine's going to hit them. It's actually a terribly debilitating condition. Mm. And so if you get the odd headache now and again and you take a couple of disciplines and it goes away, that's not a big deal. But, uh, but if you get regular headaches, you should have something to see, and you should have a seen to. Dr. Chevelle, do these painkillers work? And, and I want you to explain how they work, because other people, like myself, when I feel I have a headache, I just drink water. Is it psychological, or, or do they actually work? No, it's not psychological. And in fact, we've got a big problem with doctors telling patients oh, it's all in your head and it's psychological. Because then it gives people psychological problems. And the doctors who say this are only the doctors who don't know how to find where the headache's coming from. Mm -hmm. So they make it the the patient's fault. You can get people with real psychological problems because they think they are to blame. Especially when a family member says, ah, just take the distance and go lie down or stop being a baby. Mm. It's It's a big problem. Some people's trigger for headaches is dehydration. So in your case, if you drink water and it goes away, well, you're lucky. But it doesn't help everybody because their triggers are different or they they don't have a trigger, it just comes. They must have a trigger, but it's not a trigger that we've ever been able to identify, put it that way. Okay. Now, back to the tablets. Can you exacerbate the situation by depending on on painkillers? Yes, if you have to take regular painkillers or regular migraine medication, and that's two, three times a week, mm-hmm. you run a very serious risk of developing what they call medication overuse headache, which means that the headache you've got gets more and more severe and more and more frequent. So what happens? You drink, you have more and more tablets or more and more powders. And that's a vicious circle, and it makes it more and more frequent and more and more tablets. And more. So it can really be a vicious circle. And we get people coming in here, the headache can you maybe take 20 painkillers a day. Wow, wow. You know, and it's, all these medications are bad for one. Yeah, because they, sit, they sit somewhere, and I suppose they, yeah. they collect and, and become... They, and they all have side effects. Mm. Sometimes the side effects take a long time to manifest. You don't feel it immediately. So apart from the medication overuse, you can get all sorts of problems from uh, from overusing medication.
So, painkillers, um, powder versus uh, solid tablets, what works? Because people say powder works faster, it gets, it gets to well, the pain quicker. Well, it gets quicker. absorbed quicker, that's all. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, it doesn't and, get... And, and what works faster than that is if you've got an effervescent tablet, tablet you put in water and it dissolves. Okay. You drink that, it then works even quicker than the powder. Okay, so so effervescent first, powder second, and maybe a solid tablet last. Yeah, fantastic. So uh, I I really I really am interested in, in in the way you've explained that um, there's there's arterial pain and there's muscle pain, but the perfume really it just tells me that choosing what perfume to wear or deodorant in the morning is is not a matter of what smells good anymore. It, look, if it gives you a headache, you mustn't use it. That's as simple as that. But we must be more aware of, of the odors that we use around the house. Only, as well. only, only if they cause a problem. Uh, can I tell you the odd triggers that, that one picks up mm-hmm. from different people? I had an, an elderly Afrikaans man from Brits who came in with his headache. And I asked him in Afrikaans, well, what, gives it, what brings on your headache? He said, when I have to speak English, I get a headache. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose, you know, there are other triggers. If somebody, yes. if you have an argument, then you get a headache, you know. Perhaps the stress gives you headaches as well. And that's usually because the muscles tense up more if you've got a muscle problem. No, um, my, 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 my producer is asking, can facial muscle surgery relieve migraine pain? No. Not facial muscle surgery, other kind of muscles. You see, when you talk about facial muscles, you're talking about the expression, the muscles of expression. Mm. There is the, the, the muscles of the forehead in certain people, if you remove those, it can relieve the, the headache. But uh, it's quite, a, quite an operation. There are a lot of uh, surgeons in America, plastic surgeons, who are doing it. Um, but we've got easier ways of doing it. Now, how do you? How does yours work? Removing the the arterial pain. The, well, the we, art- we find which arteries are causing the problem, and then we operate on them and close them off permanently. Unfortunately, they are arteries that you don't need, like the appendix and the tonsils and the wisdom teeth. You can get on very well without them. Mm-hmm. So that's and it's done in a day as a day procedure. It's quite a long procedure. It takes two hours, two and a half hours. But the patient gets up and goes home the same day. And is recovered and back at work what? Well, you see, back at work, it depends. If you work for the post office, you need two months <laughs> off. If you've got your own business, you'll be back at work the next day. So are there other triggers in foods, let's say? Yes, yes there are a million triggers. Uh, the most common ones are certain kinds of cheese, fermented cheeses, red wine, citrus, chocolate, but the list goes on and on because every patient is different. Hmm. Some people, weather changes trigger it off. Some people going out in the sun triggers it off. So, and, and, and do children suffer the same? Are they common migraines in, in children rather than more, more? Children get them as well. They are just smaller copies of adults. But the interesting thing is, before puberty, boys and girls get them at about the same rate. As soon as girls start the menstrual cycle, the rate goes up at three to one because 
the normal fluctuations of hormones during mm. the menstrual cycle can also trigger a headache. Wow. I've learned so much from you, Dr. Chevelle. Thank you so much for joining us. So how do people find you to, to, well, to we, bring headaches nat- to you? We've got a national phone number. I'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. It's 0861-678-911. Okay, and you only operate in Johannesburg? No, I also go to Cape Town. We've got a branch in Cape Town. Okay, so... And 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 it's the same number. It's a national number. Okay, and do you have a website? Yes, www.headacheclinic.co.za. Dr. Chevelle, I hope to see you next time when you are in Cape Town. And let's have another conversation about migraines. But your advice right now is identify, if you can, your your migraine or your trigger of of migraines. And then that's what you want to know um, and bring it to you, huh? Yeah, well, you know, we don't worry too much about triggers because we're removing the underlying cause. So that people who, who can't drink wine, when we treat them successfully, they can then drink around. It doesn't trigger a headache anymore because the pain center has been fixed. But now after after your... So are you saying when you've removed the pain center, can can other triggers appear, for instance? No. For instance? No. no. Once, 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 the, once the pain, the place that the pain's coming from has been properly treated, it never gets painful again. So can but I be... Pro- can't make it painful. Can I be proactive and come to you even without a headache so that you remove the 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 the, the arterials that are you know that well, I don't no, need? No, we can we, we would have to diagnose and we've got methods of diagnosing how to do it. And you know, we, what's causing the problem, whether it's muscle, whether it's artery, whether it's both. Mm, mm. And if there are any other factors that, that are affecting those two, like for instance, even a, a slightly high filling on a tooth can can be a, a contributory factor. Neck problems, jaw joint, the sinuses. It's, it's a really complex field. So what we do is we do a complete diagnosis. We go through everything possible that can be possibly be contributing to the headache, so that we get a full, as as, as full knowledge as, as we can of that patient's particular migraine map. I think all of us dream of a headache-free life. It's good to know that you're out there, Dr. Chevelle, and please find somebody to teach, find somebody to hand over to, because, you know, we really need to to to, to have, um, yeah, somebody study you, and you know. Well, thanks very much. Where are we getting there? Thank you, Dr. Chevelle. You, you have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye www.headacheclinic.co.za uh, or 0861-678-911 is the number for the Headache Clinic and, and Dr. Chevelle. It sounds like an amazing, an amazing experience to live. Uh, I dream of a headache-free life. I, do, I think all of us do. And it's interesting that we're going to talk oral health and I think that, the, the, you know, he mentioned that... Uh, there is a connection with uh, even with a filling in your or, or a toothache, I suppose, that would cause a headache. And uh, we're talking oral health with Dr. Khan after this. But it is now time for SAFM news headlines with Sir Otsile Sarko. Thanks, Shadow. Good afternoon. South Africa will start the process of procuring a nuclear fleet later this year to generate almost 10,000 megawatts of power.
The bail application of Christopher Panayotu will commence tomorrow at the Port Elizabeth Magistrates Court. And community members in Blumpuart in Limpopo have barricaded the R25 road between Hroblesdal and Denilton. Residents are protesting about a road that has been left unfinished by a contractor. Details at 2 o'clock. Otherwise, on SAFM. Dr. Maroon Khan is the dentist from the South African Dental Association and she joins me now on the phone. Dr. Khan, welcome. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for having me, Shadow. Now, why do, do you, I, I don't know how to ask this question, we, we all don't seem to understand oral health, even though it's one of the first few things taught. I remember, uh, you know, uh, trucks coming to my school as a little girl, uh, talking to us about just really general um, um, health care for our oral health for, 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 for our mouths and teeth. But why is it that we find ourselves facing problems in an adult age? I think um, it starts off with the way we care for our teeth. Firstly, it's the brushing and the flossing. Um, people tend to be lazy to brush their teeth in the evening. Mm. Um, they may brush in the morning, but incorrect techniques can also increase your chances of getting cavities and, and not caring for your teeth. So the first step, obviously, would be good brushing and flossing habits, which should be part of your daily um, grooming care. Now, what 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 do we use to 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 brush our teeth? And I'm, because I worry about um, the kind of toothpaste that we have around. What do they contain? Can they make our, the, the the condition of our teeth worse than it is? Uh, because we we hardly understand. All we know that, you know, if they have fluoride, then they're okay. Okay. Um, you have different toothpaste depending on on the, uh, your the condition of your mouth. We have the clear paste that are used for patients that have had crowns and bridge work and porcelain restorations in their mouth, and you don't want an abrasive toothpaste that would take away the color and shine of those crowns. Um, the abrasive toothpaste are hard on the enamel, so if you brush hard already, then you need to choose a more gentler toothpaste. It is important that you have uh, sufficient fluoride in your toothpaste, and there are toothpaste that are approved by the South African Dental Association. Okay, but is, is, is there sugar in toothpaste or only artificial sweetener? There are sugars present and it's important when you do purchase your toothpaste to look at the ingredients and I think the higher content sugars are in the pediatric toothpaste, the children's toothpaste. You know, um, I know that a lot of people in the rural areas, in fact worldwide, who don't use toothpaste at all, who use other forms of leaves or what you know, uh, whatever the, the part, particular stick to clean their teeth. Does this mean that they 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 don't have healthy uh, uh, healthy teeth? Um, I think if you look at the people in rural areas, there are two points. The chewing sticks already have herbal um, ingredients in it that assist in preventing uh, plaque formation in your mouth. And you would watch them sitting with the stick in their mouth practically the whole day. So they're constantly cleaning their mouth. Mm -hmm. Their diet seems to have less refined sugar, which is the other cause of dental caries. 
So, um, you know, you have to take the two in combination. As soon as you become more urban, um, you know, parents tend to spoil their kids with cold drinks and biscuits and, and snacks of um, highly refined sugars. And, and the brushing technique is then incorrect, which then makes the, um, the teeth more susceptible to caries. Talking about toothpaste, and we'll come back to uh, diet in a bit, but talking about toothpaste, other toothpastes don't have fluoride. Is there a problem with fluoride? Um, there isn't a problem with fluoride. It's in the amount of fluoride that would be ingested. Currently in our waters, we do have fluoride. And, you know, people say, oh, too much of fluoride is going to cause mottling of the teeth. And But you're talking about... Um, tons of water that would cause this. For the routine um, water that we consume, um, it is quite safe for us to drink the tap water in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong really with fluoride. Can we measure how much fluoride we, 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 we use? Um, it is difficult. It's supposed to be two parts per million in, in the amount of fluoride ingested per day. However, how do you measure that? Mm-hmm. You know, you have fluoride in food, you have fluoride in your toothpaste, you have fluoride in the water. Um, but I don't think our big enemy at the moment is the fluoride. Our big enemy obviously is in our caring of the teeth and, and, the, and the brushing and the flossing and the high keratogenic foods that we intake. Now, I know that from previous conversations, I know that... Um, uh, African people predominantly suffer from gum disease, regardless of the, the, the condition of their teeth. Are you able to unpack that for us? Um, I'm not sure where you got your stats from, but periodontal disease is a very rife disease and it's found across all population groups. And um, one of the, the principal causes of, of periodontal disease is um, lack of flossing. Flossing cleans your teeth between, cleans your mouth between the teeth. Mm -hmm. And incorrect flossing or not flossing allows the bacteria and food particles to remain between the teeth. And the the bacteria then starts eating up the gum thinking that it's part of the food. And and once the gingiva has been um, attacked, then you get bone loss. And, and it's the actual bone loss that is a progression from gingivitis to periodontitis that results in the tooth becoming loose and, and the loss of those teeth. And you, you say that it's not pr- predominantly amongst uh, black people? No. Women, women in particular? Because I, I was told that by somebody who I trusted as far as their knowledge is concerned. I do know in pregnant women you do get a condition that loosens the the ligaments that is part of your overall body and pregnancy where the ligaments the body is preparing to deliver the baby. So you do get a condition called um, pregnancy periodontitis where the ligaments loosen but would correct um, dental routine and with correct eating habits, those ligaments firm up again and you won't lose those teeth. But you need immaculate oral hygiene. I mean, um, 
Um, I don't think it's correct to say that it's related to women and it's related to one particular group. Oh, okay. Thanks for clearing that up. But also we know that oral disease, though, is... is, is is higher um, uh, in children and adults among poor and disadvantaged population groups? Um, That is also a fallacy that it's only amongst the the poor and disadvantaged. Um, There may be a category that may not be able to afford um, a toothbrush, uh, but chewing stick is available and you could use a chewing stick to clean your mouth. But um, it's the affluent urban families that are eating the sugars and, and that's what's causing the higher caries incidence in our population. I must go and relook at this because I got this from the World Health Organization website. Saying so that it's, uh, it's more prevalent. Poor, that is, no, that is not true. If you look at the South African population and the studies that are being done, it, it's the urban um, children that we are concerned about. Mm, mm. Okay, but let's let's go back to the diet because that's that's a major major uh, 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 problem that we have as far as uh, oral hygiene and our oral health. Rather, what should we not be serving our children? Um, it's easier said than done <laughs> to stay away from sticky, chewy, sugary foods. And, you know, if you look at our tuck shops today at the schools and what do they serve, you know, a healthy sandwich is an option, a healthy snacks like fruit and veggies is an option, or is it the fizzes and the um, stick sweets that they call? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and that type of initiation because, you know, the child keeps it in their mouth for a long period of time and the saliva cannot bring down the acidity of the food and that's the, it's the acidity that actually causes the demineralization of your enamel and that's the initiation of your caries. And this is not only for, for children though because I think all of us um, and it gets worse as you get older because our foods are also we eat a lot of processed food because of our lifestyle we're running in and out of meetings and and homes and schools I mean is there any way of of restoring what we may have lost with as part of our enamel or on our teeth because of what we eat? Um, no, once the enamel is lost, then it is lost, and mm. then you would need to have a filling done to, to replace it. But you can prevent the filling from getting larger by improving your diet, and I think early detection by the dentist plays a critical role. If, the, if you visit your dentist regularly and they can see tiny spots of demineralization, mm-hmm. they would firstly advise you on the correct way of brushing. Secondly, they would advise you on your diet. And thirdly, if the filling needs to be restored, that it would be done quickly rather than waiting um, until it's right through into the pulp and then, you know, either having the tooth extracted or having root canal therapy done on that tooth. Why do you think we don't love our dentists? We don't visit them quite often, or as uh, often as we ought to. Um, I think um, the kids love coming to the dentist. If you look at them, you know, quite excited coming in because there's very little that's being done on, on children's teeth. You know, they come in, they have a, a good brushing, um, the dentist plays with them, and, and they quite enjoy 
um, the whole event. It's the adults that haven't slept the whole night and they've, they've got serious pain and now they, they arrive at the dentist and the dentist says, well, you, you've got six cavities and you need to come in three more times and I think that's where the fear starts building up. So a positive attitude to the dentist is where we need to start with our children and, and that grows to healthy adults going in frequently twice a year to their dentist to have their teeth checked. When's the earliest time a child should be introduced to a dentist? I think when they get their first tooth. <laughs> Um, it's important to take care of your primary teeth. One, um, you know, if, if the child's already into bad habits, I'm sure you've seen kids drinking Coke out of a bottle, the milk bottles. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's one of the earliest ways of destroying your child's tooth because the acidity of the Coke damages the teeth. So if you take your child early to the dentist, the dentist would advise you on on the correct eating habits and the way of cleaning the, the primary teeth. And the reason we like to restore primary teeth is to allow the permanent teeth to be placed in their correct position in their mouth to prevent misalignment of teeth and further orthodontic treatment at a later stage. So you, you're encouraging us to floss and brush as often, but can, can brushing too much also um, uh, worsen the condition of your teeth? Is there anything like brushing too much, firstly, or flossing too much for that matter? Okay, it's the incorrect brushing and flossing that can damage your teeth. Um, the enamel closest to the gum is, is the thinnest. So if you scrub your teeth down, you are going to wear away that enamel and you end up with like tiny little erosions on, on the teeth that can be very sensitive. So you need to use a circular motion using a soft toothbrush to clean your teeth. Um, often you see people flossing their teeth in a very um, seesaw motion mm-hmm. and that's not actually cleaning the teeth. You need to rub the, the floss against the surface of the tooth and to remove food and debris and plaque that is on that surface and that is the correct way of brushing, uh, of flossing. And if you're not sure how to floss your teeth, you know, when you go to the dentist, ask the dentist to demonstrate the correct way of flossing your teeth. But brushing, you say, should be done in circular motions. In a circular motion, yes, to prevent um, erosion of your enamel on that margin where it is closest between the gum and the tooth. Now, the gum disease, even when you have healthy teeth, you may lose them because of the disease, right? Yes. Hmm. The tooth hasn't got caries, but it's mobile. Yes. Okay, so, so you need to visit. We have a, a specialist called a periodontist who deals specifically with gum and uh, bone disease. And, and they go in and they clean out your bone and they try and restore your gums to a level that it would hold your teeth or maintain your teeth in your mouth. Otherwise, otherwise, then false teeth is where you're going. (laughs) False teeth, (laughs) implants, crowns and bridges. So you do have other options, but it's best to try and maintain your own teeth. Now, there's a very big fad that happens, um, whitening your teeth. How good is that or bad for your teeth to whiten them? Um, 
It is an aesthetic um, uh, treatment. And, you know, with everything else going global, our oral health has also gone global. And people watch television programs Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. these makeovers and you can see your teeth being whitened. Um, They are very safe products on the market. And the dentists are trained to assist our patients in choosing the correct tooth whitening product. Um, you know, we discourage patients to be buying products over the counter because they do not understand the concentration or percentage of uh, your carbamides that are present in the tooth whitening um, products. And a dentist has been trained to choose the one that is correct for your mouth. Fantastic. Dr. Khan, it's been, <laughs> it's been an education for me. Thank you so much for talking to us. And how, have you got a contact details for us for, for, the, for SADA, South African Dental Association? Um, the telephone number is 011-484-5288. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a website. It's called www.saba.co.za. And uh, we have a public platform where further information may be downloaded. I so thank you for your time. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, so, zero double one four eight four five two double eight or www.sada.co.za that's SADA for South Condental Association I did say it was raining in Cape Town and I thought Mamle Dambulu can talk to us sing to us about rain Maru Apuna
read in the paper today that crops cry out for rain. So we're celebrating Maru Apula. Those are rain clouds with Letambulu. And uh, it is going to rain. That's We're happy. We're happy with that. It is now time for our children's story, Shop Shop. Children's program on SFM with Leon Fisser. And it is shop shop, it's shop shop Well, hello, hello, hello everyone. Hello, hello, hello from me too. <gasps> What's happening, Uncle Leon? We are going back in time. Why? Well, today we're going back to explore one of the greatest inventions of all time, Sophie. Ice cream! (laughs) (laughs) No, Sophie. Something that helped so many people when it was invented and still helps us every day in so many ways. Is it a computer? Well, computers are really amazing inventions. The internet is awesome and technology has become so important in our lives. But these things were all invented just a short while ago. People have only really been working on those inventions for the past 200 years or so. 200 years? But that is long, Uncle Leon. That's even older than Gogotandi. <laughs> yes, it is. But the invention I'm talking about is thousands of years old. Sure. I wonder if any of our listeners know what I'm talking about. Can you give us a clue, Uncle Leon? Okay, well, you know that we've been talking quite a bit about cars and transport in our previous episodes, right? Uh-huh. Well, almost every type of transport needs this thing to go. In fact, most cars need four of these things. Oh dear, I think I've given it away. Um, no, I don't think so. Um, four things to go. Uh, <gasps> I think I know now, Uncle Leon. I think I'm going to say what I think it is now, Uncle Leon. Listen, listen, everyone, because Sophie is about to make an announcement of the greatest invention of all time is a wheel. Yes, that's exactly it, Sophie. Well done. I got it right. I got it right. It was the wheel. It was the wheel. (laughs) But I don't understand, Uncle Leon. Wheels are very nice. They make cars go and bicycles. But what makes that the most importantest invention of all time in the world ever, ever? Well, let me tell you, for a start, wheels can take you places. And we humans have come a long, long way since we discovered the wheel. But there are lots of other things we would have never discovered if we didn't first invent the wheel. For example, you see this watch I'm wearing? Mm Mm-hmm. Inside are tiny little wheels that turn all the time to keep time. (gasps) Wow! And you see this special office chair that I'm sitting on? Are there little wheels inside your chair too? Well, well, have a look. Look at the bottom underneath the chair legs. Tell me, what do you see? Wheels! Exactly. But Uncle Leon, that's still not very, very important. It's nice to have it, but we can't not live without not having it. Uh, we can't not... (laughs) We can live without it, yes. But now, think about the building we're in. I can tell you that lots of vehicles with wheels help to build this big building. Really? 
Oh yes, all the construction vehicles that dug the foundations, that lifted all the dirt away, that helped to move all the big beams for each floor, they were all on wheels. Sure. And then, wheels are also on cars, hey? Oh yes, it's a great way to get us around. But aeroplanes also have wheels, you know? Really? Yes, when the plane takes off, it rides along on wheels. And the wheels help the plane to land too. Planes wouldn't be much good if they couldn't take off or land, would they? I never thought about it. You're right, Uncle Leon. Tell you what, even trains ride along the train tracks on special wheels that fit into the rails. Okay. Uncle Leon, should we play a game then? Okay. So tell me, what do we do in this game? Let's try to name things that we can think of that have wheels. I will go first. Okay, okay. Are you ready? Ready and steady. Okay, then go. Uh, a wheelbarrow, <laughs> a bicycle, a tricycle, the spinning wheel in Sleeping Beauty, and, oh, the big wheel at the fun fair. <laughs> very good, Sophie. That's five. Well, I'm very impressed. The last one is my favoritist. <laughs> I'm sure the big wheel is my favorite ride to go on at the fun fair, too. Now it's your turn, Uncle Leon. Go! Okay, well, wagons and carts and trolleys all have wheels. And there are wheels in a lift, like the lift that brings us from the ground floor to the third floor. And let me just think a little bit more. Uh, wait, sellotape and toilet paper both go round and round <laughs> on a little wheel made of is it plastic or wood or cardboard. And then there's the wheel that is used to make all sorts of clay pots. Um, and that's called a potter's wheel. Sure. You think of seven things, Uncle Leon. You are very good. <laughs> Thank you, Sophie. Well, the last thing I mentioned was probably the most important one, because that's actually where the wheel was first discovered, long before it was used on carts or wagons. The potting wheel? Yes, the potter's wheel. How come? Okay, wait. We're going to need that beautiful music for this. Class, Uncle Leon. Just a short, well, fun one, yes. Okay. Okay, right, so archaeologists are still trying to figure out exactly how and when and where the wheel was invented. It seems like a lot of different people around the world were working on some sort of wheel at around the same time. But they have managed to figure out that people in Europe and Mesopotamia were using wheels at least five and a half thousand years ago. Sure. You see, there was a group of people called the Sumerians living in a place called Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia? Was it very messy? <laughs> no, not messy. Mesopotamia. It was around the same area where Iraq is now. Now, these people figured out that the best way to make a bowl or a cup was to put some clay on a round board that went around and around and around so that the potter could shape it nicely. The potting, I mean, the potter's wheel. Yes, but then there were some heavy rocks that needed to move too, to build houses with. So they thought, hmm, the potter's wheel worked for the bowls and the cups. 
maybe we can use the same idea to move these heavy rocks. So they use the potter's wheel? No, they use the log of a tree to go around and around. Then they started changing the design, experimenting with different ways to move the rocks, until they eventually came up with something that looked a lot like a wheel that you might see in a car today. Except, of course, it was made of wood, and it couldn't go very fast, <laughs> and it didn't have shiny hubcaps. <laughs> but once they had the wheel, they could get moving a whole lot faster than before, and they could move heavy things from one place to another. And that, ta-da, is the end of my history lesson. That was a short and sweet and very interesting history class, Uncle Leon. Well, thank you, Sophie. And we're just in time to say goodbye. Oh, that went so quickly. I'm going to look when I get home and see what all different kinds of wheels I can see everywhere. Good. Everyone at home, you can also do that. Find little wheels and big wheels mm. and fast wheels and slow wheels and tiny wheels and enormous wheels and <laughs> speedy wheels and spinning wheels and bouncing wheels and wheels that go wee. <laughs> so, goodbye everyone and until next time, remember to keep it sharp sharp. Bye-bye. This show is produced by Vian Fenter and Cassie Lars. And it is sharp sharp, it's sharp sharp from the farm road. Well, we thank you for listening and thanks to my guests, thanks to the team. It is now time for SAFM News with Utsile Sako. Time is two o'clock. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Thanks, Shadow. Top stories, South Africa's nuclear project going ahead and a Burundian crisis triggers mass exodus. Good afternoon. South Africa will start the process to procure a nuclear fleet to generate almost 10,000 megawatts of power later this year. Government plans to build six new nuclear power plants at a cost estimated at up to one trillion rand. Energy Minister Tina Jumat peterson says the exercise will be carried out in a fair and transparent manner. South Africa has signed nuclear power deals with various countries including Russia, France, China, South Korea and the United States. Jumat peterson also said South Africa would re-establish its nuclear fuel cycle industry. In her parliamentary budget, Jumat Patterson said Cabinet would make an announcement regarding the procurement process by the end of the year. We will commence with the actual nuclear procurement process in the second quarter of this financial year to select a strategic partner or partners in a competitive, fair, transparent and cost-effective manner. We expect to pronounce uh, this outcome in a similar fashion which we have done the IPPs. Eskom says its former chief executive officer, Tsiriso Maduna, was not pushed to resign. Spokesperson Kulipa Siwe says Maduna initiated the separation and told the board he wants to pursue other interests. He and three other executives were suspended in March while an inquiry was being planned into the operations of the power utility. Pasiwe says the investigation will continue. We can confirm that uh, Mr. Maduna and the board of ESCOM uh, have reached an agreement for, for him to amicably part ways with the company. And we also would like to place it on record that um, um, Mr. Maduna was not pushed out of ESCOM. He actually is the one who approached the ESCOM board to inform, that, uh, to inform them that uh, he wanted to pursue other things. So the board has accepted his uh, resignation 
and uh, the the resignation or the depart or his departure is an amicable one between him and the board. The bail application of Christopher Panayotu will commence tomorrow at the Port Elizabeth Magistrates Court. The bail hearing started last week Thursday and was postponed to give the state time to prepare opposing affidavits after defence lawyer advocate Terry Price presented his case. Christopher Panayotti is accused for being the alleged mastermind behind Jade Panayotti's murder. In April, she was abducted from their townhouse and her body later found in an area outside Guanobutle Township in Ittenhague. Jade Lee Polzer reports. Christopher Panayotu appeared in court last week Thursday where he submitted affidavits stating why he should be granted bail. In those documents he cited that he was not a flight risk and that his defense team was in possession of his passport. In the affidavit of Panayotu, it contained information regarding his application for bail such as the living conditions at St. Albans Prison which he cited as contravening the basic human rights such as adequate nutrition and sanitary facilities. Panayotu also stated in his affidavit that there were far more serious crimes committed daily. The state says the fifth charge of defeating the ends of justice was laded to Panayotu as he allegedly gave police false whereabouts of middleman Lutandu Sioli and encouraged Sioli to destroy evidence and flee town. His lawyer Alvin Hribano is confident and says that his client will be granted bail tomorrow. J. Lee Paulser, SABC News, Port Elizabeth. Community members in Bloomport and Limpopo have barricaded the R25 road between Kroblesdal and Danelton. Residents are protesting about a road that has been left unfinished by a contractor. Police spokesperson Ronel Otto says the protest action started this morning and the police are monitoring the situation. And finally, the World Health Organization has warned that a severe humanitarian crisis is developing in Tanzania as thousands of refugees from Burundi seek asylum due to escalating political tensions. The WHO says the situation is worse in Kakunga village on the border with Burundi, where the population has shot up from 1,000 to over 90,000 in just a month. Sarah Kimani reports. The World Health Organization says in a statement that displacements have peaked in the last few days with 500 to 2,000 arrivals per day in Tanzania. The UN health body adds that the numbers have overwhelmed the current health system infrastructure. The Nyarugusu refugee camp in Tanzania where the refugees are transported to is said